A young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Our guest today is Madame Catherine Pollard, the Under-Secretary General of the United Nations for Management Strategy, Policy and Compliance. What are her views on the financial and human resources challenges of the United Nations and how are they being overcome? What is her view on the future of multilateralism and China's role in it? And of course, what is the latest position of the United Nations on the recent round of escalation in conflict between Palestine and Israel? Here's my conversation with Madame Pollard. So Madame Pollard, um, welcome to Beijing, China. Thank you very much. You're the Under Secretary General for Management Strategy, Policy and Compliance. That sounds like a very powerful organization. It's rather a long name, but yes, it covers a range of management issues that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Financial management, human resources management, organizational performance, which covers a variety of areas, including, of course, internal oversight. So first of all, uh, can you tell us about uh, the purpose of your trip to China and the initiatives that you're hoping to work with your Chinese partners? Well, first of all, let me say that it's my first visit to China and uh, I'm very, very happy to be here. And you know, Beijing is a huge and modern city. I must say it has fantastic infrastructure. So I'm very impressed with everything I've seen so far. And uh, China is a big country at the UN. They're our number two contributor to the regular budget of the United Nations, to our peacekeeping budget. They also have the distinction of being the only permanent member who is also a troop contributing country. So there are a number of areas that we do want to deepen our collaboration and partnership with the government of China in UN affairs and especially for the internal management of the UN. And that's why I'm here. The government of China was kind enough to invite me to China and I'm here with my team to be able to have a lot of discussions and conversations as to how we can further collaborate and deepen our partnership together. There are so many issues at hand, uh, Madame Pollard, you know this more than uh, we do. How do you prioritize and uh, align policies and align priorities? Um, what do you hope to achieve concretely by your visit here? Well, I would say that our policies and priorities are very clear. Those are determined by the member states in the General Assembly. And for instance, in earlier in March this year, there was a resolution approved by all the member states on human resources management. I would say it's a milestone because this was the first time in six years that the General Assembly could approve. And that sets out certain tasks and asks and direction to us in the Secretariat in terms of our work on human resources management. Similarly, in our budget every year, when we present our programs and the related resources, member states in approving those, then that sets a direction that we have to follow. So I think for us, certainly in terms of how we work with China, China being such a big contributor, as I mentioned before, the second contributor to our regular budget, that making sure that we have budgetary discipline and also to assure our Chinese colleagues and officials that we in the UN take this very, very seriously and that while of course we want to make the UN more efficient, 
We want to simplify our procedures. We want to make sure that we administratively perform better and that we actually use the money very carefully. Human resources management, of course, China is underrepresented at the United Nations. We need to hire more Chinese nationals to join the UN. And that's one of the reasons here to really work with the Chinese officials to see how we can work together to actually achieve that goal. As far as I understood, uh, there have been a lot of uh, Chinese nationals or locally hired uh, people of Chinese descent working for the United Nations. It's just that uh, they might not be taking or assuming important or more important responsibilities at this point and that I assume is uh, one of the purposes of your visit. We want to attract young Chinese to join the UN, to join us at junior levels and to be able to build a career and to develop their careers at the UN. Of course, we will look at appointments at all levels as well. There are senior level political appointments, which the Secretary General makes. Over the years, yes, of course, we do have Chinese nationals at the UN. I know, for instance, in our language services, we have a lot of Chinese because Chinese is one of our six official languages. But we need to do more, that we can have more Chinese work in many more areas of the UN and so be able to build a career long term in the UN. Over the years, China has made it very clear that it supports multilateralism and supports the United Nations centered uh, international system and institutions. How do you think China has delivered in that front? China has become increasingly engaged and active across all the pillars of the, of the United Nations. And what I've seen certainly in my work and in the last 10 years, where China's contributions have increased with China's economic growth, China now pays much more than they did 10 years ago. In our budget committee 10 years ago, for instance, China was not as active as they are now. Now they're one of the major players in the budget committee. And I think that through all of that engagement, China demonstrates its willingness to be part of the UN and in strongly supporting the UN as part of the multinational world and, of course, with the UN at the center of multilateralism. 2015, though it was eight years ago, we said that was a golden year. That was the year of the launch of the Sustainable Development Goals. We had the, we had the Paris Climate Agreement. We also had the Disaster Risk Reduction Framework. There were many, many multilateral treaties, which we have since then been implementing. And China has been a member state fully engaged in many, many of those areas. Ever since 2016 and um, 2018 onward, uh, what you have said about the, the, the peak of multilateralism might seem to have declined a little bit uh, with the rise of nationalism, um, the rise of borders and barriers, man-made and artificial barriers and all that, um, in the erosion of multilateralism. How do you feel about all that? What I would say is that our international system is now tested. There are a lot of, it's a lot of strain and stress, yes. We've seen a lot of political changes around the world and the UN being 193 member states, the UN naturally has to experience those stresses. But the UN was created for a purpose, to bring nations together to be able to communicate and to engage. And in the UN, and that's certainly very important for us as staff of the United Nations, that we are neutral and that we engage with all countries. And the UN is about talking to everyone 
even if your point of view might be different and where you can find compromise. And so, yes, we have a difficult world right now. It's different to three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. But that means that we have to work harder to still be true to the values of the UN and to be able to live together and to dialogue together so that ultimately our world can prosper. And uh, as the Secretary General says, we have to be persistent and we have to be optimistic. Finance is a major pillar of the United Nations that is also in the domain of your responsibility. Uh, over the years, we've seen reports about uh, questions on, on the budgets of the United Nations, uh, the use of the funding, and also there have been talks about uh, the so-called um, liquidity crisis within this system. China, of course, has um, paid its membership dues in full over the years and decades. Um, but talk to us about some of the financial challenges that you're dealing with. Well, I think, some of the I think our main financial challenge is that the demands far outstrip what the United Nations can do. And of course, financial resources of the member states are not unlimited. So while we have seen increases in our budget over the years, 10 years ago, our regular budget was 2.5 billion per year. Now we are looking 10 years later due to the mandates, 3.5 billion per year. So yes, we have had budget increases. But at the same time, we do have a challenge, yes, that member states have the obligation to pay in full and on time, and on time is 30 days from billing them the assessments. And we have seen lags. More member states have paid their contributions this year. But yes, large member states, we have seen delays in receiving contributions. And what we have said to all member states, because I can say that there are very few member states who actually pay within the 30 days that they are required to do. But we have asked an appeal to all member states to tell us that to let us know when they aim to pay their contributions so that we can plan our expenditures accordingly. So that means that we don't have to run our budgets and run our programs based on available cash, but we can really plan how we can implement the programs as approved by the member states. Last year, the General Assembly did approve increasing our working capital fund so that it means we have more liquid cash available for when we have delays in payments. It's not as much as we would have liked to have, but it's certainly a big step forward. It's much more than we had had before. And I think we also have to review some of, I would say, the structural rigidities we have in our budgeting systems that also I think now in the current climate actually lend themselves to increasing those liquidity challenges that we have rather than resolving them. So ultimately, yes, if all member states paid in full and on time, we would have no problems, but that's a perfect world. And the world as we know is not perfect. So it means that we have to look at all the tools at our disposal and continue to work with all our member states to make sure that we have the maximum contributions coming in that will facilitate our delivering on our work. Madam Undersecretary General, talking about the world not being perfect, we have a situation, unfortunately and tragically, in the Middle East, uh, the escalation of conflict between Palestine and Israel. Um, can you elaborate on the position of the United Nations on this latest round of escalation and the tragic death of civilians? Well, the Secretary General speaks for the United Nations and he has said that he has spoken out very strongly on this humanitarian situation 
in Gaza for the United Nations values civilian life among, of, among all others. And for us, it's very important that we are able to get those humanitarian supplies into Gaza. We have very brave and courageous staff on the ground working to be able to get those, to be able to get those supplies once they come in. The United Nations is about peace, and the Secretary General has been calling for peace and for relief for the humanitarian situation. All of our energy now is directed towards that, and the Secretary General, as you know, was in Egypt. He went to the crossing at Rafa to see this humanitarian situation there. He's back in New York, and no doubt he's also working behind the scenes on some of the political issues. Talking about the future of the United Nations and your domain of uh, human resources, um, there are many, many aspiring young Chinese who would love to join the United Nations. What do you want to say to them and how can they best prepare themselves at this stage uh, in terms of expanding their skill set and uh, preparing themselves for you know, the work at the United Nations, hopefully? I would say that to joining the United Nations, especially for a young person coming in, they have to be open to adventure. The United Nations is not just New York or Geneva or even Nairobi. The United Nations is many, many places around the world, including as what we just talked about in places like Gaza, places like Afghanistan, where we have difficult situations and one faces difficult human tragedy. So. As a person and a staff member of the United Nations, we are now promoting to have a mobile culture in our organizations, which means that our staff serve in different places, they see the organization in different formats, they learn new skills, and they can apply their skills in different ways. And so they have a very broad and rounded appreciation of what the United Nations does around the world. So, I think to join the United Nations, especially looking to the future, not to the past with people like me, I would say to those of the future, to have that sense of adventure, to be willing to do different things, to be open to learn and to acquire new skills. And I can tell you, even from my own experience, I've done many things in the United Nations. I am, yes. I am you know, an accountant by profession. I've worked in financial management for most of my career but I've also led human resources, and I've also been in charge of conference management and having to manage interpreters and translators and big events like the General Assembly at the United Nations. And what did I learn? A whole new set of skills in how to plan events and how to engage with people. So being prepared to learn and to do new things, to do things that you never thought about before. And also to be sometimes to take a little bit of risk, to apply for something to be interesting that you never really thought about before, but you might actually enjoy and learn something different. So I think really to be flexible and to be very open to experience would be the United Nations of the future and my message to young Chinese and all young people who would want to join the United Nations. You were the coordinator for multilingualism in the United Nations Secretariat. Um, how do you see the importance of speaking more than one languages and understanding more than one culture. This importance of multilingualism, a department that you have been leading for what, four or five years? As, my, as the head of conference management, I was appointed by the Secretary General as coordinator for multilingualism. And uh, 
Every work stream that we have in that department is in the six official languages. And we can see the benefit of that, and that is one of the strengths of the United Nations, multilingualism. And it's an opening of culture that people can speak to other people in their own language that they might be, that they would be, have a deeper understanding and a deeper insight. So that is another value I would encourage young people to have and in joining the UN, to take advantage of learning languages, which is what the UN, the UN offers. So multilingualism is really that prism through which different cultures can come together in the UN and have greater insights and understanding to work together. One final question, Madam Under Secretary General, talking about um, multilateralism versus a uh, nation states, there had long been this debate about the merits of the United Nations and whether or not the United Nations has teeth. One school of thought argues that at the end of the day, it is the nation states who are vying for their own interests, will inevitably clash with one another, be it in the battlefield or in the economic domain, so on and so forth. Um, how do you truly feel about the future of this world when it comes to multilateralism versus nationalism and uh, national interests? Well, I do believe in multilateralism, and uh, after 30 plus years of working at the UN, I remain an optimist. And I am convinced that if the UN didn't exist, we would have to create something very similar to it. And I think that as, as we talked before in an earlier question, multilateralism is harder now, but we have to live together on this planet. And we have to, we have to respect each other and to find ways as to how we can collaborate together. Countries are different. We have 193 member states. And yes, the United Nations is a, it's a political construct and it's an organization of states. But as we know, the United Nations responds to the expectations of the world. And the world is made up also of many actors, including non-government organizations, civil society, as well as the peoples of the world. And the Charter of the United Nations says, we the peoples. And the organization is 78 years old. You don't get to 78 years old with being exactly as you were when you started. So the United Nations will have to evolve and we will respond to the changes that member states require and the way that the world is evolving because I think that a world without the United Nations I don't think is a world that we all want our children to be part of. I think that we want to continue to have this multilateral world and we will see how the future unfolds. But definitely, as I said before, I think that multilateralism is really at the strength of a healthy and cooperative world and we have to have persistence and optimism. Special Envoy Grundberg, welcome to CGTN. Thank you so much. Hans, if you think about it, there are so many pieces to this puzzle, right? There's a, a government in exile, basically, in Saudi Arabia, and the Houthis, the Houthi militants, are controlling much of the country, including the capital, for the longest time. And then there's this Southern Transitional Council that is uh, claiming a territory of its own. What could a peace deal, a future government, look like, in your opinion? 
First, I do believe that the, the government has uh, is located uh, in Aden and, and is not uh, considered to be in exile. But, but as you mentioned, uh, the, the rest of your analysis is absolutely correct. It is a complicated situation which has been going on for, for the last uh, seven years. Uh, when it comes to my first priority is to ensure that we come to a situation where the parties agree to, to enter into a political process. That means that the parties need to agree, in, agree on, a, on a structured approach to resolving their differences through negotiation. Power sharing? That will obviously be part of the negotiations that will, will take place. If, but here it's important that I don't also foresee any of the solutions that you want me to talk about, because that is for the parties themselves to, to define through negotiations. Uh, through talking to different parties within Yemen, mm. is it your sense that a, a permanent ceasefire could be within reach in the foreseeable future? I do believe that that is possible, uh, but I don't. Uh, I will not want to say that it's uh, that it's e is going to be easy. It uh, still requires compromises uh, to be uh, to be made from the parties in order to reach that level of agreement. We're in a position right now where there is uh, ongoing discussions taking place on different levels in support of the United Nations mediation efforts. And the, what I do want to see here is all these efforts to to forge into a situation where I feel that I can present a proposal to the parties which they also can agree to and which will, th which will then allow uh, negotiations for, for a permanent ceasefire to take place. And, and the, uh, so, so I do believe uh, that it is possible but, uh, but absolutely not easy. You're not going to say uh, within what fr uh, time frame there could be a permanent ceasefire? Uh, we'll also want to be humble in terms of the, uh, what the future may give. But what I can say is that the United Nations and myself will spare no efforts in trying to reach that point as, as, as soon as possible. Hence, let's talk about the humanitarian disasters on the ground, which is stunning. Two-thirds of Yemenis, or 22 million of them, rely on aid to survive right now. Give us a sense of what you see on the ground. The situation in Yemen, even before the war, was difficult. I, I started myself as a young Swedish uh, diplomat in, in working on Yemen uh, effectively in 2007-8 or 2007-8-ish. And, and there already then uh, the, the situation, the economic situation in Yemen was challenging. And uh, I was uh, then working for Sweden, but within a European Union context. And, and it was clear then that, that Yemen would be in need of serious assistance from the international community in order to tackle the challenges that we saw then. Uh, so, so even without the war, the situation in Yemen uh, was and uh, would have been uh, difficult. The fact that uh, such a country, one of the world's poorest countries, had been subject to a seven-year-long war obviously generates a humanitarian suffering that, that has been catastrophic. There is, will be a continued need of support uh, from the international community to Yemen in the foreseeable future. The ongoing work that I do on the political end could facilitate a transition from mere humanitarian support to more long-term development aid and that I think would be of tremendous help for Yemen. But for that to happen you need the, you need to do the, the serious steps that I talked about before, a transition towards uh, a, and a commitment from the parties towards a, a nationwide ceasefire and a political process to be in place in order to provide confidence to donors that, that uh, development aid in Yemen is possible. Think about 
the fact that um, you know Syria is back to the Arab League, uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia have this great detente, and China's role is uh, widely anticipated within this region. How do you feel about that? I always believe in humbleness. I believe that one should be uh, be welcoming positive development, uh, and one should consolidate that. And but one should also be careful in not making uh, rush too far ahead uh, in in your. Uh, analysis and your hopes uh, for the future, making sure that you, you take uh, all the steps that you take are, are on solid ground. But I will agree with you that we've seen a development in, in the region where I work that are positive and where we also see a situation where the countries in the region are willing to, uh, to uh, solve their differences themselves and that is encouraging. There I do believe, again, coming back to the role of the United Nations and, and the broader international community, that we have a responsibility in assisting them in, in solving uh, the, the differences that they have. And, and this is where I, I see uh, China's role as, as, a, as a positive one and, and uh, will want to, to make sure that, that the, the positive steps that we have seen so far can, can also be sustained. How do you see China coming into play when it comes to peacemaking, if you think about China's massive infrastructure programs such as the Belt and Road Initiative uh, in helping with development and infrastructure. China supported uh, Yemen by uh, building the uh, road that links the capital Sana'a with the port of Hodeida during the end of the 50s. And that road is, is a road that I have been traveling on and is, is today uh, an important uh, line that uh, connects uh, the, the, the Red Sea with the, with the capital Sana'a. But, but obviously support doesn't necessarily need to, to be limited to, to infrastructure. It can also be broader than that. And, and there, but, but again, uh, a collective and a coordinated and a coherent support from the broad international community, I think, is what is going to be the most important uh, line forward. And finally, Hans, you've been in diplomacy for quite a while. Now you're representing the United Nations, of which China is a key member. Uh, how do you look at broadly China's role in the world if you think about uh, its many, many initiatives, from building a, co a community of common destiny to global security and peace? and security and civilizations initiatives. As a representative of the United Nations, I, I will uh, highlight the fact that, that this, uh, the uh, Global Security Initiative, I think the, the point two of the Global Security Initiative highlights the role of the United Nations and, and also uh, uh, points out China's uh, willingness to, to support the, the, the work that the United Nations are doing in terms of, of uh, uh, promoting uh, security and peace uh, or promoting peace in, in the world and, and that is something that I, I believe as, as uh, I welcome and, and something that I, I hope that, that uh, we can uh, also build upon. Especially Hans Grunberg, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. With that, we come to the close of this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. I'll see you again soon.